You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. So y'all are like, wait, is, is that it? Was that the whole scripture? Because of the last few weeks, we've been reading like entire sections of the Bible. And this week, just a few verses. Um, so our scripture this morning is confronting. We're sitting in our blissful little worlds, enjoying life, and there's uh, rapping on the door. And it's Jesus. And we're quite okay to leave him outside where he's at. We don't, we don't really need him. We might want him or like have some use for him from time to time. But we're not really sure we want to open the door and let him in and let him like involve himself in our life and our world. We'd much rather feast by ourselves. Some takeout and some Netflix and we're good to go. Or maybe a a good time with friends rather than with him. Our scripture is confronting because it, helps us see that in a lot of ways, you and I are quite comfortable without him. We've done just fine for ourselves, thank you very much. At least uh, this is the case for the church to whom these words were written, the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. So Revelation starts with these series of letters, these series of messages from the risen Jesus that has uh, revealed to this messenger, to this angel, this revelation that is then given to John and what then proceeds is this like cosmic expose um, that you may or may not be familiar with in really infamous ways. But at the very beginning are these letters. It's really a letter, and it's a letter written to seven churches. And it's meant to be letters that are read in such a way that people outside of those churches get to be like a fly on the wall. And we get to listen in, and we get to find ourselves in the church that's being written to. And this last church, Laodicea, is the one that receives Christ's shocking words. And they're shocking because a church that is known by the name of Jesus finds itself with Jesus on the outside, knocking on the door, begging to come in. Much of this text has probably lost a lot of its shock value uh, because if you grew up in the church, you were probably given this verse to use in like evangelism training 
Look, Jesus is standing on the door of your heart and knocking. Will you let him in? Will you receive Jesus today? Let's pray this prayer. Got your golden ticket to heaven. Let's go. And yet these shocking words are from the mouth of Jesus himself, right? If you've got a red letter Bible in front of you, these are red words, meaning this is Jesus speaking. And while Jesus is talking to this church at Laodicea, he's actually also speaking to you and to me because you and I hold a lot in common with Laodicea. See, like them, our lives are much neater, much more controllable, more comfortable, and just overall better without Jesus. We'd rather leave Jesus standing at the door rather than invite him in and allow him to involve himself in our affairs. Okay, uh, what am I talking about? So we live in a secular world, and this isn't taking some weird like Southern Baptist uh, turn here. Um, Right, we live in a world that has taken spirituality, uh, religiosity, like whatever word, mysticism, whatever word you want to use, we have ripped it out of our world and said, all that is is material. All that is is like atoms and neutrons. We are a closed system. An all-religious one, one, of devo- one devoid of sacredness. And Jesus entering into this framework is problematic. It's disruptive. It will mess up the entire system. It will undermine the whole thing. It dismantles it. And secularism is first and foremost the idolatry that is like the false worship in place of Jesus that you and I will spend the rest of our lives grappling with. We don't have to go down to the temple and like sacrifice to Artemis or Dionysus or something like that. No, no, you and I worship at the temple of Best Buy or Amazon because let's be relevant. We sacrifice and we give our offerings on the plate of Netflix. What I mean is that the secular world, the secularism that threatens us, that confronts us, that tries to woo us, promises us that we can have something. We can have healing. If we will just give a little bit here, we can get so much more. And on Black Friday, I mean, it's a steal. Give a little less and get way more. And the gods of secularism promise us deep healing, but really all they ever give us is temporary distractions. Right? We live in a secular world, and the good news of secularism is at a fever pitch this time of year. As you and I are drawn towards the altars of retail and sentimentality with the promise of another hit of dopamine. Just click, and there go your endorphins. Just gather around the table. It'll be great. Nothing will ever go wrong. We'll all be together, and it'll be cozy and warm, and everyone will be happy. At least, 
That's what the Hallmark, Hallmark Channel tells us. And yet, year after year, as we enter into these rhythms and practices of retail therapy, of sentimentality, year after year, nothing substantive changes about our lives or the world that we live in. The darkness remains. It's hard for us to live beyond this notion of the material world. And, and right, I, I realize that if I were to give you all a quiz right now, hey, do you believe in something outside of the material? Yeah, sure, I believe. I even pray. I think about God, like, right? But practically speaking, when push comes to shove, when, when we look at, like, where are you putting your time and your money and, like, the things that actually, like, are important to us, it's hard for us to get beyond the material world. Because after all, we're all chemicals, to quote the poet. Thank you, someone, someone listens. And we're so, we so often live like this is the guiding principle of the cosmos. That the whiz-bangs and the zip-zaps that are going on in our brain are the guiding laws that ought to determine how we live and go about our lives. And year after year, during our highest holidays, we're reminded that these gods never actually deliver the deep healing that they promise. They only deliver this temporary distraction. And we're left grappling with the very real, actual weight of brokenness. We're overwhelmed with darkness. From inside of us and from outside of us, it is oppressing. And the shopping doesn't affect the persecution of the Iranian people who are struggling against religious and political oppression. You cannot click your way out of that. You cannot save your way out of that. You cannot find a good enough coupon to get yourself out of that. The happy endings of the Hallmark Channel will never make their way into our history of homophobic and transphobic violence. The stories never seem to play out in real life the way that they do in the Hallmark Channels where the snow is falling. We all sit by the fire and we sing Kumbaya and everything just works out in the end because we were together. The good cheer of indulgence and food and drink doesn't take away the chasm in the chest of the mother who lost her nine-year-old daughter to a junk driver while they were just simply going to get school supplies. Her world is forever shattered because of the darkness. No fault of her own. Her innocent child was in the wrong seat at the wrong place at the wrong time, and every year, this time of year, she is reminded that the world is dark. And no amount of distraction can remove the ache in my own heart as I watch my wife, Gabby, struggle and battle with chronic illness that will not go away, wrestling against her own body, a body that betrays her year after year. The secular good news does nothing but distract us. You cannot buy your way out of these things. 
You cannot watch enough television to make these things actually and really go away. You cannot eat and drink enough merriment to one day wake up and the world be filled with light and goodness and wholeness. And so year after year, we're confronted by the fact that you and I are weak, powerless, And that while we may like live as if we exist in this secular world, live as if we exist in this closed system, we recognize that nothing within ourselves or within this closed system is actually offering us any healing. We only find distraction. We only find disappointment. And then we look around and we see that the closed system itself is weak and powerless and needy. And we ask, where do we go? Where can we turn? What do we do? Merry Christmas. (laughs) Our wealth and our power and our influence and our intelligence and our affluence, none of it seems capable of defeating the darkness. As Revelation so colorfully puts, a dragon has been unleashed in our world and there is nothing that you about it. And it's devouring everything that it possibly can. We recognize every time, this time of year, that you and I need help from outside of ourselves. Help from outside of the cosmos. And so year after year, we enter the season of Advent. A season where the cultural calendar and so much of the Christian calendar, calendar diverge. A season where much of the world is entering into some of this like merriment and joy uh, with lowercase letters because it's not really actual joy. It's not real actual merriment. It's distraction. While on the Christian calendar, we create space to lament, to acknowledge that the world is broken and in like need of real substantial fixing to recognize that like we are weak and needy and powerless and that we need a help that is outside of ourselves. And the rhythm on the church calendar that locates us between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming finds us in a season of waiting. Waiting for the light that began in the manger to finally burst forth into the history books, as Bono puts it. We're longing for the day where hope and history finally rhyme. And Advent disrupts the distraction with a knocking on the door where Jesus stands waiting, wanting to come inside. And the arrival of Jesus brings every mortal, temporal, secular arrangement into question. In other words, we begin immediately, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. What is he going to ask of me? If I let him in, he might rearrange my furniture. I can assure you, if you let him in, he's going to rearrange your furniture. And it shakes us to to our core, and it should. Jesus is not Barney the dinosaur 
Jesus is not simply saying, hey, look, I love you, you love me, let's all just like live and let live and let's get along. How could he ever be a God of justice? As he tells the slave owner, hey, it's cool, man, let's just live and let live, you do you, I'll do me, it's great, we'll all get along, it'll be fine. No, Jesus wanted to get into the slaveholder's house and he wanted to rearrange some furniture. Jesus wants to get into the racist house and he wants to rearrange some furniture. Jesus wants to get into the transphobic person's house and he longs to rearrange some furniture. Jesus is longing to come into our world and rearrange the furniture. He's knocking at the door. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this, Christ's coming is not only glad tidings, and it absolutely is glad tidings, but it is also first and foremost the frightening news to anyone who actually has a conscience. And no corner of scripture paints as vivid a picture of this crisis than the book of Revelation. With its dragons and beasts and cosmic wars between good and evil, we have a vivid 4K, if that's the, the I'm sure they're like got 8K now, I don't even know what the K is. This vivid like picture of God and what God is doing and what God promises to do. And Revelation is meant to do exactly what Advent is meant to do. To make us uncomfortable. To show us the stark difference between how the world is and how the world should be. Maybe even how our lives are and how our lives should be. And so, yes, with Jesus' arrival comes joy and hope and love and delight, all the things that our hearts have longed for, the healing that we have longed for, but also his rearranging of things, his justice, his establishment of his kingdom and his reign in our lives and in our world. And this is exactly what Jesus reminds the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 14. If you've got your Bibles, open up to them. You can um, see most of this text on redemptionhou.com slash today. You got Bibles in the seats in front of you. In this, in this letter to the Laodiceans, Jesus says this, uh, Revelation chapter three, verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write this. This is Jesus talking. The words of the amen the yes of God, that's Jesus' name, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Okay, real quick aside, what if we started praying to Jesus using these names? How powerful that might be. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, We're reading out of the NRSV, and they're being really polite with this translation. Jesus literally says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. So uh, what's going on here? You've probably likely heard about, like, there's these, you know, hot or cold. You want to either be, like, on the side of evil, really cold, or really hot and on fire for Jesus. It's not what's going on here because Jesus is like, I wish you were hot or cold. Jesus doesn't want you to go worship the devil, so don't do it. 
What's going on here is like, like there's some like real actual historical contextual things going on in this place. And there are two nearby water supplies. There's a hot spring at Hierapolis that they've like brought in on whatever those things are called that they did back in Rome with like the water things. Y'all know? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and then there's another one in Colossae, and it's the cold water. And so they pipe both of these in as like Laodicea's cold water supply and hot water supply. But the problem is by the time it gets there, it is neither hot nor cold. It's just water. And Jesus plays on this by saying, yeah, you're just like your water supply. Meh. It's, well, I guess it's fine. But, but then like, there's something else going on here because what Jesus, right, John, the author of Revelation, uh, there's some questions about that, but we can talk about that some other time. John, the author of Revelation, um, who's also the author of the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, ask of me and I will give you springs of living water that flow out of your heart, is playing on this idea where at the end of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, the Holy Spirit is depicted as a glass sea that stretches out from the presence of the Father and the Lamb as far as the eye can see, and out of there bursts forth a river that everyone can drink from. And the point is this, hey, Laodicea, what can you provide yourselves? Some really tepid drink water? Uh, that's great. Look what I could give you. Verse 17, and this is the theme for the Laodiceans. For you say, I'm rich, and they were. I've prospered, and they had, and I need nothing. And on paper, this was true. And yet, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Right, so what's going on here? Uh, Jesus says, hey, you're rich. You say you're rich, but you're actually poor. So how wealthy is Laodicea? Laodicea has so much like capital as its own like city that the city was leveled by an earthquake in AD 60. And Rome was like, hey, let us give you a bunch of money so you can rebuild. And they're like, you know what? Actually, we're good. We don't need any money. We've got plenty. In fact, we got so much money, we're gonna rebuild and have a bunch left over. We don't need your handout, but thank you, Rome. And Jesus says, if you would come buy gold from me, you think you're rich. Buy gold from me and you can actually be rich. Verse 18 goes on, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen. Jesus says, you say I have prospered, but you are wretched and naked. So Laodicea was known for its rich textiles. They were like the... Uh, I don't remember what it's called. There's that place in L.A. that makes all the clothes. Um, they're known for their clothing industry. It's part of the reason why they're so rich. And yet Jesus says, you have no clothes. And you're walking around in shame because you're naked. And you, if you would ask of me, I would clothe you. I would give you what you need. And the white robes were, yes, a symbol of purity, but also a symbol of like an emperor who rules. One of the themes of Revelation is conquering and ruling. And the way that someone conquers and rules is not by might. It's not by violence. It's the same way that the lamb conquers and rules. The lamb who appears as one that has been slain. 
a lamb who conquers the dragon by his blood, a lamb that has given himself to conquer. Verse 18 finishes with, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And again, Jesus says, you say I need nothing, and yet you're pitiable and blind. Laodicea had a wonderful medical school, and one of the things that they were known for in their medical school was some sort of eye salve that I don't really know how this worked or what it did, but it did something to help people see better. I don't know. Science. And yet Jesus says they're blind because they do not see their condition clearly. And that if they would come to him, he would help them see. And what you see in this letter to Laodicea is a theme that continues throughout uh, the book of Revelation. And yes, in way more colorful images than what we're seeing here with like dragons and harlots and all kinds of craziness. It's like the things that you're finding your security in, the things that you think are so sure, the things that you are actually and really practically placing your confidence in. Revelation says when the lamb shows up, the earth melts away in his presence. The very ground that you stand on is not secure when compared to the lamb. All of these things that you're finding your security and all of these things that you're finding your hope in are not actually what they appear. And so verse 19, he says, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you. You with me. You will have riches. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And the way over and over and over and over and over that Revelation depicts this idea of conquering is faithfulness to the Lamb. Faithfulness to the Lamb. Don't sell out. Don't sell out. Don't sell out. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. He is faithful and he is true and he is one. He has not forgotten you. I know it might look dark now, but he's coming, he's at the door, he's knocking. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I want to ask a couple of really simple questions this morning as we wrap up. You can pursue these questions further in your hub groups this week. Um, Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. And for some of us, we need to be confronted by that fact. For some of us, we need to be confronted by, maybe there's some things that we've been hoping in, that we've been like depending on, that we've been like, man, if this thing can happen or if this thing comes through, then I will dot, 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 right? Whatever that is, fill in the blank. Then I will have some version of the good life, some version of happiness, some version of fulfillment. Then I'll have the peace uh, that I've been longing for. 
If only we could get the right people elected, then everything will be so much better. If only I could just get this amount of zeros, if only I could just own this, if only I could, if only I could, if only I could, and we chase these empty things looking for hope. And Jesus invites us to entrust every single aspect of our lives to him against all logic and reason. When we look out the door and we realize, oh, this is a world of dragons. And the way that you defeat them is by faithfulness to the lamb who died. You don't take up a sword. You don't go, like, fight a culture war. You don't go and right? But in this land of darkness, we cling to the lamb in faithfulness. So can we begin to entrust every aspect of our lives to Jesus? This is question one. Can we begin to entrust every aspect of our lives to Jesus? Right, and I know uh, you'll be tempted to rush through these. Yes, next question. (laughs) But I want to challenge you to actually spend a moment and reflect on that. Where are the places that I, I struggle to trust Jesus? For me and my wife, for so many years, we grappled with infertility and trusting Jesus was a struggle. Trusting that Jesus actually cared about us and loved us was a struggle. Trusting that he was actually good was a struggle. And sometimes still is, by the way. Were you struggling to entrust your life to Jesus? For some of you, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, and and you don't need confronting, you need comforting. For some of you, you have been so overwhelmed and so beat down and so just like devoured by darkness, you need to hear Jesus is standing at the door. The light of the world is at the door and saying, the darkness does not win, friend. The light is here, it is coming, dawn is breaking. I can assure you, just hold on a little bit longer. And for all of us, can we begin to name this darkness? Can we begin to name the ways that we have been overwhelmed and been given into darkness? Right, there are, there are a lot of churches that struggle with this. That to confess, hey, I, I'm, I'm struggling with like sickness. Oh, you're just not believing enough. Or I'm struggling with like the fact that uh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my debt. Well, if you just believe more, any sort of like weakness, any sort of like uh, struggle or, I don't know, shortcoming is somehow seen as like anti-Christian. What Advent assures us of, what Revelation assures us of, is that we are all needy beggars. Where is the darkness in your life? Can you take the time to name it? And I'm not saying, like, turn to your neighbor, right? (laughs) You don't have to do that. Can you name it? Or have you been so caught up in a world of distraction You've not slowed down long enough to actually feel the feelings, the pain, the grief, the hurt, maybe the conviction. 
What is the darkness that we don't want to look in the face, that we don't want to confront because we're afraid that it might actually be just as monstrous as we think? Beyond our power to control, manipulate, or buy our way out of. And then I want us to ask, where's our hope? Right again. You could go down to the hall and say, hey, kids, where's your hope? It's Jesus. Everybody gets a sticker. Good job, right? Except they're usually more honest than us. Santa Claus. Like, oh, crud. <laughs> but where's your hope? If we're doing a real honest assessment, what would it mean to let Jesus come in and feast with you? What would he rearrange? What would be different about your life, the way you go about it? Maybe there's some things you need to let go of that Jesus is saying, hey, this is suffocating you. Will you just let go? Maybe there's some things you need to pick up. Hey, this will nourish your soul. Will you just take this up? Will you trust me? Will you do this? you're here this morning and you're feeling hopeless, I want us all to be encouraged and to know deep in our bones that while the trivial things offer us distraction and while they might offer us some temporary indulgence, there is a light beyond the darkness. You can have real, profound peace and healing in the one who's making all things new. That yes, Jesus is coming, but he's already here among us by his spirit renewing the world bit by bit. And for all of us, wherever we're coming from, hear these words of Christ. Whether we're confronted, whether we're in need of comfort, right? So at the very beginning of Revelation, uh, John encounters this image of Jesus. Like Jesus shows up and is like, hey, what's up, John? Hey, what's up, guy who like we kind of grew up together? We spent a lot of time together. You knew me really well. You laid your head on my breast. And Jesus is like, it's me, John. Hi. And John's like, oh, my God. And he falls down like a dead man. And I want Jesus' words to John be his words to you and me wherever you're coming from as we fall down in need or we fall down in conviction or we fall down in despair. Like wherever you're coming from, as you fall down at the feet of Jesus, hear Jesus say this that he said to John. He placed his right hand on me. And he said, don't be afraid. I am the first. I am the living one. I was dead. And look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great revelation of your son for the light that has entered the darkness and illuminated our hearts. And yet, there's so much darkness left. 
there's so much darkness left in me. Will you open my heart to see you, to know you, to experience you more? And there's so much just oppression, not just across the globe, but right next door. Will you bring healing, Lord? We wait for you. You come, Lord Jesus. We wait for you. So Advent is a season of waiting and reflection. It's also a season that's incredibly busy and hurried and filled with noise. Some of that noise is great. We want to create some space this morning, just a couple of minutes, to sit in silence. Maybe you take some notes. Maybe you just look out the window. Maybe you pray. We want to create just a few minutes of space for you just to be in the presence of the risen Jesus who has assured you that he has conquered darkness and death and that he is coming soon. And as we sit in silence, let's foster the expectation and the waiting that this season is meant to foster in us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.